we would be honored if you would join us. All right, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Dungeon Crawlers, where we have, I don't know, we've checked out, we've gone away, we've come back around the, the moon, we went on a space trip, I guess. I don't know where we've been. Anyways, we're back. We're back to talk about some awesome stuff, uh, which is something I know many of you have either gone on or are dreading, which is creating your first adventure. That's right. You are ready to throw the player's book aside. You are ready to pick up the GM's tome or the DM's tome, and you want to become the game master. And yet, how, 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 how do you create an adventure of your own? You know, you you don't want to use the modules that you know you can pick up in the store, pick up on Amazon or wherever else. You want to craft your own story. You want to make this epic adventure that will make your players weep, urinate their in their pants, and go home screaming like a little girl. Or maybe you just want everyone laughing at you. I don't know, but. That's what we're going to be talking about. How do you craft that first adventure that makes it so epic that your players want to come back again and again? And yes, I, I mean, that is that is tonight's show. And I have rambled on enough. So let's, um, I mean, where do we begin? I mean, this is kind of a, a, a large uh, jumping off point. Yeah, so first things first, uh, prepare to make your will save against intimidation. This is a process that is uh, <clears throat> very <laughs> difficult on the surface. The theory sounds intense and intimidating and and impossible to overcome. Uh, but you know, one of the one of the things that I've talked about with a lot of people is you can't get mad about not painting a flower if you haven't put anything on the canvas. And honestly, that's probably the very first thing that I would say is be prepared for it to suck, but do it, put it down on the page, however bad it is, because as you begin to do it, you will start to see where things are fluid and where things are crunchy and you'll begin to bring it together. Uh, you know, that's, that's kind of the first thing for me. Uh, I see Krebs over there looking intently, like as if he's concerned about what I'm saying. Not at all. I'm actually looking in uh, intense because I'm trying to formulate my thoughts. Uh, I will ramble if I'm not careful. You are eloquent and exquisite to listen to. Oh, yes, and friends. This is exactly, and, and this is exactly how how they how Krebs sounds offline too. He just sits and waxes profuse about my profundity. <laughs> I was waiting. I was waiting for Daniel to say, and I'll form the head. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's that or, you know, and with your powers combined, I become <laughs> Daniel uh, Planet. You know, I, I, I this is just kind of a side note, but uh, iTunes, every season of Captain Planet is available for five dollars right now. And I had to buy them. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, why not? It's, it's Captain Planet for crying out loud, including the movie. Um, but. You know, you know, the movie. The movie, too, I know. <laughs> Funnily enough, that actually does lead me into kind of a more real, uh, I guess not necessarily more real, but a more concrete thing to do when you're writing your first adventure, which is start with the media you enjoy. Um, in fact, I'm currently uh, writing a dungeon that I'm very excited for, 
uh, based around an episode of Avatar The Last Airbender. Um, one of my favorites where they're it's in the middle of season two. They're out exploring the desert. They visit an oasis and an archaeologist tells them about this library that's guarded by the spirits and, oh, and they go episode. to try and find it. And I've always felt like there was more story to be explored there. And so uh, that's often a place where I will find a foundational source for the things that I want to create is starting with the stories that I know that just feel like there's a little more just past the edge of the cover. Is that something that, that you guys have found? Oh, absolutely. Uh, in fact, I, I don't want to get too deep into it, but there is a film of which I'm an enormous fan that we have talked about in recent history quite a bit. Oh, The Last and, Airbender hmm. by M. Night Shyamalan. Oh, no. yes. At, um, uh, if, only, <laughs> if, only, if only they had made a live-action film of Avatar The Last Airbender. Sadly, one does not exist. Um, but th there's a film of which I'm an enormous fan, and I have a buddy. I, this is a film that came out in my childhood, and he and I sat down decades later and talked about it and realized how many things are mentioned in the film in passing and they never go into any depth about, but it opens up a whole new chapter in the saga. Just, just wide branching storytelling that could take place. We've, we've theorized about it. We've, we've waxed, um, I don't even know how to use the right words here. Now um, we have fantasized about rebooting this as a series, not just a single film and all the areas that we would explore to lay down backstory. We've talked about so many things and it's like, Oh my gosh, this movie was an hour and 27 minutes in 1983. And now we're talking about a multi-season series online you know, it, and, and it speaks exactly to what you were talking about. There, there is the core story uh, of, that we get from the original creators and their original vision is beautiful. Star Wars is very much this way. The original vision as it was presented in 1977, 80 and 83 were, was beautiful. And then fans, uh, people who grew up with that mythos took it further. And now we have the show, the Mandalorian. When you consider the history of Boba Fett, the fact that he was never supposed to live past the Sarlacc, and then the fandom motivated the creators to bring him back to life in alternate media. And now we have one of the most streamed shows of all time, The Mandalorian, that never would have happened had it not been for people who enjoyed the mythos, enjoyed the story, and explored dark corners left undiscovered. Yeah. No, I mean, you're right. And that's why we have the RPGs we have. I mean, honestly. You know, we have the Star Wars RPG because we want to play a character we don't want to play Luke. We don't want to play Darth Vader. We want to play a character in that universe on their own journey, their own path. You know, it's, it's a way for us to live in the Star Wars universe. Uh, you know, we have all the other uh, different uh, role-playing systems, you know, even in Palladium and stuff like that. You get to play a character. You get to play a role in this grand world. And a lot of these game systems you can easily incorporate and pull elements from other books, movies, TV series. Um, you know, I, I example, um, oh man, what is the, the game system now? It, it escapes me, but we played a game. Um, I can't think of it right now. But anyways, basically it was like Indiana Jones. 
we were fighting Nazis. We had to get aboard a sub and get this artifact. Sounds pretty familiar if you've seen any of the Indiana Jones films. Of course, it went horribly wrong. One of the players ended up almost dying from a massive explosion. He was butt naked after the explosion because his clothes burned up. He was singed. We got him medical attention. He woke up in, you know, in tons of bandages, uh, head, head to toe, you know, and somehow, some way, he was infected with some weird serum. And if he took the bandages off, he became he was invisible. I mean, we just jumped from Indiana Jones to the Invisible Man. I mean, but it was it was so fun. It was amazing the way the story was woven. But there were key elements that were taken from other movies that the the GM enjoyed and loved. Um, mm-hmm. And then yeah. somehow, somehow we got uh, Strange Worlds. Uh, oh, what is it? Ah, oh, man, the the name of the the role playing system keeps coming. Savage Worlds. Through. Savage Worlds. That's what yeah, it is. Yes, go. yes. Um, because we end, we eventually ended up in the middle of the Earth and we're fighting dinosaurs. You know, we we <laughs> flew an airplane into the middle of the earth and had to fight T Rexes and so and Indiana Jones, Indiana Jones into the Invisible Man into Journey to the Center of the Earth and Jurassic Park. And oh, I, I thought you were going to say Land of the Lost. <laughs> uh, no, it could be a little bit of Land of the Lost, but we had to retrieve something, and I feel like yeah, the guy we had to retrieve retrieve it from was a little bit like Newman. Uh, yeah. See, and this is this is exactly why I always advise that people start with the media that they love. Start with the worlds that you love because it's important to remember if you enjoy a story, there's probably a reason that you do. And some yeah. of that may be mythos, but some of that may also be some of the established tropes or the way that the story is structured that helps to ingrain some of those ideas in your head. The, the kind of musical tempo, so to speak, of this happens, therefore this is going to happen next, therefore this is going to happen next. But that doesn't always necessarily translate super, super cleanly. What are some of the ways that you guys have overcome some of those translation errors, right? So so in um, in my experience, you know, I, I, any, first of all, let me just plant this fact of the universe. Every GM on a sufficiently long timeline will have at least one great game and one absolute train wreck, mm-hmm. at least. And the trick is to lean toward the epic side of the spectrum versus the suck side of the spectrum. Uh, and that sounds super simple, but um, when I'm building a story, I've I've learned several key lessons over the years. And I'm still learning because I'm not the best GM in the world, but I love doing it. I love telling the story. I love, or I rather, I love driving the story. We've talked about this before where the GM's job is not to tell the story. The GM's job is to set the stage and help drive it. But the players are the ones telling the story and the GM is adjudicating and making sure that we obey the five alloys of good storytelling. Right. And so uh, to that end, uh, I'm a Palladium player as I have proudly declared many times. And one of the things that they introduced about, I would say 10 years into uh, the launch of the game. So like um, late nineties, almost, almost the beginning of the, of the 2000 decade, they introduced this concept of hook line sinker. 
And I realize other storytelling mechanisms or, or other other media use the hook, line, sinker approach, but they adapted it for an RPG setting. And the idea was they were going to give you the hook, which is the current situation or the location of the adventure. You, you've got a setting where the players start. You've got the line, which is an opportunity for adventure that presents itself to the party. Maybe someone needs help. Um, one of the massive tropes in uh, dungeon crawling type RPGs is there are giant rats in the basement slash sewer need you to kill them, right? So so much so is that a trope that the game Bard's Tale made an hilarious parody of that. And it was amazing. Uh, and so there's an opportunity for adventure. And the sinker is the clincher. It's the dilemma. It's the thing that turns that part of the story into a, a, a true adventure. It makes it something more. So an example might be uh, that the hook is you are in a city that is seemingly abandoned. The line is you find one person who comes to you, the mayor of the town, who is begging you to go save the citizens of the town from some terrible creature that lurks in the deep, uh, meaning the sewers underneath the city. And then the sinker is it's his fault to begin with and you discover that later he summoned the creature you can banish the creature but now what do you do about the mayor mm. yeah no i mean that that's a good uh, good thing i mean honestly you can also use elements you know plotting out like when you're writing you know you have your start like you said you know most adventures you know i don't like it this way but you know when i began everything started at the tavern i mean that's the trope you know, you enter a tavern, boom, you have a job. You guys suddenly become a, this team, even though you've never met each other ever before. Somehow, some way, for some reason, you guys are now an effective team. Uh, no, it doesn't work that way. I mean, so much so, it, I mean, that is so solid of a trope that, you know, I, you know, Tracy Hickman wrote XDM, and the adventure was that the whole point was to, you started off hanging over this lava pit you've already been captured by the villain and the whole point is to get back to the tavern that's the end point <laughs> is to get back to the tavern that's um, amazing yeah, yeah so but you know so you, you have your starting point you have the call to adventure you know then of course you have whatever that plot point is that's that point of no return you know they have to go on they they can't go back anymore they have their first kind of big battle. Um, you, you know, then there's that shift where it goes from, you know, from victim to warrior, so to say. You have your second battle, and then you kind of go into that dark night of souls, and then you have the final battle. I mean, that's kind of how an adventure flows. You know, sometimes that's, you know, if it's not an adventure, it's a campaign. But overall, that's kind of the flow, uh, uh, how a book goes, how an adventure and stuff like that goes. It matches what you said. Um, but those pinch points where you're trying to incorporate those things, those are the things when it doesn't fit quite well, if you're trying, you know, it, it's like those kid toys, you know, where you have the triangle, the square and the circle, and you have the little pegs that you're trying to get in there. It, it doesn't matter. No matter how many times you try to cram the circle into the square, it's not going to go. So there are some times where the pieces don't fit into your adventure. Don't try to force it. Because when you force it, it doesn't work. It doesn't flow well. So try to find another circle piece, you know, or square piece. We're trying to push the square. Yeah, <laughs> that doesn't help. We're gonna do the same thing A over much again. Smaller yeah. circle piece. In insanity ensues. But um, <laughs> you're right. 
you could do a much smaller circle it'll fit but it won't be as good you know look for another square you know look for another thing that you can insert in you know like you know looking back if someone were to tell me man if we're going to do nazis and one of you is going to get so severely burned and some accident's going to happen and you're going to end up like the invisible man i would have like what the heck that just sounds really no i i'm out but he made it work mm-hmm. uh, so just kind of you, you got to see what fits and works and if it doesn't work it's okay to throw it out you know yeah this didn't really work uh you're good um and that that kind of leads me into a thought as, I, as i'm kind of thinking about what both of you are saying here kind of the phrasing that comes into my mind is to be driving story beats, not specific outcomes. Right. We know that we need to introduce conflict here. We need to have a rest period here. We need to have this here. And as long as you understand the parameters of your adventure, well, and kind of what the overarching thing that needs to happen from a to D is all the bits in the middle, the specifics anyway, can be squishy. So long as you know, we got to have a combat at some point or we got to have a puzzle at some point or the mayor of the town needs to come and say something to incite the next part of the adventure or whatever it may be. But if you have all of those pieces ready, then following those beats is easier because you can slot in what you need to motivate your players or to take time or save time or whatever it is to get you to the next point. Absolutely. No, I think Um, beats are a lot better. I was just going to say, I I do think beats are better because, you know, with book, you have a plot. You have to follow that plot. But even in that plot, you have beats. You have key moments that you have to hit. And I think as far as when it comes to writing that adventure, you still need to hit those, you know. Uh, You know, the overall plot is to go save the princess. Well, what what does it take to get to save the princess? You know, who do you have to talk to? Where do you have to go? What monster do you have to defeat? What monsters show up in in the meantime what obstacles do you have to overcome Um, all those beats come in you know when you sit down to listen to a symphony it's not just one long chord played over and over by everyone you know it's a series of different beats different notes that are hit over and over and over until you have this masterpiece in the end yeah Well, and the other cool thing that kind of expands on something we've talked about in previous weeks is when you are beat focused, then if the needs of the story or the needs of your players evolve mid game, you can adapt, right? Because if the original plot of the story is to go save the princess and at some point the players do something that throws the story so far out of whack that there's no way that saving the princess makes any kind of categorical sense anymore. That's okay because the beat was at the beginning that that's what they set out to do. And now at this point, you can turn, it turns out that the princess actually murdered the king after all, right? Or the princess is secretly a lich or, you know, like you can, you can, you can change all of those details and tune them to the needs of your players following that, that electrum rule of elevating your story as inevitably those changes need to happen. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, once upon a time I was teaching a class on topics in game development. It was, uh, admittedly, I am not a professional game designer, 
but I met the minimum specs such that I could teach that class until they could find someone from the industry, from that part of the industry. And so I was teaching the topics in game development class, one of the most fun classes I've ever taught. And in the book that we had, we were using a book called Game Design Workshop by Tracy Fullerton. Mm. And in that book, it talks about writing the uh, game design document. And as part of that, you have the beat chart. Now, the, co- the, the concept of beat charts, the concept of storyboarding, all of those things, uh, even brain like, like story brainstorming, right? Um, all that comes from the worlds of writing and film respectively. And uh, it is, if you understand any of that theory, if you explore and find any of that theory, that's a great way to organize your thoughts. Now, when we're talking about designing your first adventure, we, we talked in episodes previous of like, what game should you start with? How do you start as a GM? And we really talked about more like what system do you dive into first? And we, and, and Elton, you had some great advice. All, all, I think all of us had some excellent suggestions on how to start down that road. And now we're at the point where you've got this system, you've read the rules, maybe you've even created a character or two just to see what it was like. And now it's time to tell a story. And starting with media that you love, I think is a fantastic suggestion. I think a second uh, op- op- sort of optional starting point is that most systems now, uh, most contemporary printings, come with at least one starting adventure built into the book so that you can uh, – because they know that being a, a DM or a GM for the first time is daunting, and people don't quite know where to begin. They've never done it before, so how do they know what beginning looks like? And so they give you an adventure, and they structure it for you, and y- you can you can either follow it specifically on the rails, which I've seen people do. Or you can take it as a seed of suggestion and completely run with it or something in between that gamut. But what I I think I think Alton would agree with me, and I think his advice lines up with this as well. Uh, you don't have to feel like you have to write the next saga of which no one has ever heard, right? Yeah. You can re- you can rely on common, well-received enjoyable adventure concepts and just put your own spin on it or inject your own bad guys. And it's okay in the beginning to be a little white hat, black hat. That's okay. You'll get into subtlety and nuances later, but for right now, take the pressure off your shoulders and just tell a fun story where fun is my heroes have a clear goal. We made it fun and challenging to achieve and it was rewarding to complete. Yeah, I think back. I think back to my very first GM session, and and I would remind the listeners out there, this was the fourth time I'd ever sat down at the table, and I'd only played two previous times. The first time I was creating my character, right? Um, but the the GM who came before me, the whole reason he left was because the group really disliked what he was doing. We were going through this dungeon a series of long hallways with doors at the end and every single door was trapped without fail every single door and some walls and most floors it was the most absurd thing we didn't actually get to fight combat except for once when we fought a mimic there was no real plot development or anything going on it was how do you open the door 
Oh, well, make a roll, right? And and so that was that was what I was handed when he didn't show up on the third adventure. It's and like everybody said, you just do it. It's like he didn't even know the three plus two rules. <laughs> but but the, the thing is, is like, I, I took it over and I, of course, had no concept of the rule set by this point. I really didn't know what he had set up or where he was going. Um, and, and, and I, and my first adventure was garbage, not my worst because it did get worse, but (laughs) it was still garbage. But the one thing that I do remember is I remember feeling myself getting completely stuck and not knowing what to do. And that moment of panic will stick with me for a long time as I'm looking around a table of four players who are eagerly awaiting what's on the other side of the door. And I have no clue, but it was at that point that I really started using the stories that I did know as templates. And I would do the exact same thing as I started to actually take on GMing more down the road I did exactly that. I got the Pathfinder beginner box. Uh, first edition came with this neat little dungeon. It had a fold out map and it was all ready to go. And I read through it fairly well. Um, and I tried to run it once for somebody. And because I wasn't familiar enough the rule with the rules, didn't do a good time. But then when I sat down to play it with a different group, they did something unexpected and went a completely different direction than the module was supposed to go. But I used that template that already existed, knowing that if they went through the adventure A, B, C, D, E, right, uh, at B, they were going to encounter a fountain. At C, they were going to encounter goblins. At D, they were going to encounter a lake. At E, they were going to encounter spiders, right? And so I said, okay, what are the things that I can do with that same formula? And the first time was clunky. It, It was hard, but it created a backbone upon which I could uh, slather the barbecue sauce of story, right? And hopefully on the (laughs) other side, it was good enough that it got me to the next game and the next game. And eventually uh, I started to feel much more confident um, with that. And that really was only possible because I was able to rest on those types of materials that that already exist to be that template for me so if i can throw something out there really quick um you know what um as as you have introduced people to the game for the first time i have found that over the years uh, there are certain adventures that i have run that don't work great for first-time players and certain adventures that do and we can talk about those qualities but i i've also rested upon a single adventure that if I'm given a single player, maybe two players, I will use that as sort of like the tutorial, if you will. It's the, it's the one that introduces them to the game, and it's a story that I know works because I've tried it before, or I can adjust it slightly, or whatever the case may be. Do you have a story that you like to start with or an adventure that you like to start with as your primer adventure for new players? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, funnily enough, there was a Pathfinder adventure module that I insisted on trying to run with like five different groups. And this was before I was, you know, even remotely good at GMing. And I certainly wasn't good at reading or understanding the rules. Um, But there was one piece at the beginning that stood out to me. And every time I ran the module, 
I realized that players were falling into patterns and it made it very easy for me to be able to understand the group dynamic and who was planning on doing what and whether they actually understood their character. Uh, so for me, and I realize I'm now giving away my sauce to the two of you, so you'll never get to experience this fresh, but, uh, uh, I, I always have the party come to a river that is iced over, right? And um, I'll usually have preceded this with something that introduces the fact that things aren't always what they seem, right? But they'll get to the river, and as they begin to try to cross it, first off, I let them know your movement is being reduced because you're slipping and sliding all over the place. But then I have every player in the group roll a perception check. And the, the point of it is not that they need to make it, but whoever rolls the highest number, I let them know, you see dark spots in the ice. And I just give them that information, right? And see what they do. Now, players who are experienced are then immediately going to go, whoa, whoa, whoa hold on, guys, hold on, guys. There are dark spots. Let's figure this out, right? And you can begin to see who is thinking that way with Dungeon Sense, right? Um but then as I draw the line, the, the circles out for the dark areas, the funniest thing happens every single time. The first couple of people in initiative order start to work their way out onto the ice and they're being careful and they're stepping around. And then there's one person every single time who either usually it's, I take out my weapon and I hit it. But sometimes it's I try to jump on it or I push my buddy into it or whatever it is. And that is always the inciting incident. And I will have, depending on, you know, how experienced the players are, it may be just as simple as somebody falls through the ice and now you have to work together to get them out. Mm -hmm. Using the skills and the tools and the character traits and abilities that you brought to the game, you've got to figure out how to get it out. And, and I will still make it hard along the way intentionally. So because it forces them to really look at the mechanics that are available to them and think about how they apply in a world that they can only see in their mind. I love and that. It, and it also creates a situation where players begin to realize that the thing that they see in their head may not be exactly the same thing that the person next to them sees. And so they have to figure out how to communicate with each other, how to work together and how to take advantage of game mechanics to get themselves out of a pickle. And that encounter alone, I kid you not, usually takes about an hour of time. And by that it. point, I will have observed everything I need to know about how to motivate the players through the rest of the adventure. You um, know, what I like about that is the simplicity of the context. The context, the, the, that particular encounter, as you put it, is cross the lake. That's it. It's you, you, have, you have a frozen body of water, get across. It's not some grandiose, your princess is in another castle. It's not some trilogy or, or, or um, what, comes after, what comes after oct, you know, nonology. It's not some nonology of of uh, fabled sorcerers in space with laser swords it's not like that at all it's get across the ice and yet because of the way that you execute it it requires them to explore the mechanics learn about each other's characters learn how to play in character and not metagame it's all the fundamentals all the foundations of great rpg playing 
So that's excellent. I think that's awesome. Daniel, do you have do you have like a primer adventure that you use to introduce new players? Not anymore. <laughs> I haven't played in quite a while. Most of the people I played are, are actual uh, players. Um, you know, like with my my kids, uh, I started running a game with them. Yeah, you know, I it was very dumbed down. Um, and that's what, how I would start with it. It would be, hey, this is what's going on. This is what's going on. And then kind of give them more of a helping hand as they're walking through the adventure. Because I always kind of create a new adventure for them and kind of tone it to to who my audience is. Um, but back in the day, yeah, I mean, I ha- I did have an adventure. It was very Dragonlance-esque. Um, uh, you know, they started in a tavern that happened to be in a city in the trees and, you know, they got attacked. They had to escape the tavern. They were running across rope bridges, you know, and, you know, the whole goal is to get to the, get to the lake, to get on a boat, to sail away. Hmm. Sounds a lot like a certain book. Um, but it, you know, it had some key things. You know, they had to learn how to fight, make rolls to escape, get to get to the boat. Um, you know, but you always have that one guy that wants to break free of, you know, reality. I mean, come on. This guy had a bow and arrow. He rolled one. The string broke. This is all, you know, thinking, okay. He's just going to he's going to run. He's going to drop the bow or put it away because everyone else has ran on besides him, except for him. He's sitting there firing bows, his arrows at the people. And it's like, come on, just get moving. He's no. Luckily, he rolled a one so I could. I'm like, OK, snap the bowstring. He can get moving. No, he decides he's going to take out his dagger and cut a piece of the rope. You know, to, to get a new a string for for his bow. <laughs> Needless to say, I'm sure by the chuckle you can guess what his next roll was. It oh, was it was a one again. So I'm like, all right, well you you accidentally cut one of the lead ropes, the whole bridge just snaps, and you plummet to your death, 45 feet to the to the rocky ground below. Um, that got you know that from that point on that player was known to always bring up backup characters because he'd always do something really really not smart i'll just leave it that way but you know i appreciate the fact he came prepared but that you know that i kind of did that it did run through those things they got to learn how to fight they got to learn how to use some of their skills to to escape they learned how to you know row out into a boat and go on and then I kind of got away from that because I'm like, uh, I kind of want the players to actually make mistakes. I want them to see what happens when they, they mess up instead of kind of giving them the training wheel. Uh, but I, I do definitely give the training wheels when I'm playing with kids, you know, because kids pl- playing is, is vastly different than adults. Um, <laughs> yeah, now this is, this is another thing upon which I have 
a lot of opinions. And I know a lot of our listeners right now are probably in their homes with their children contemplating whether they're old enough or not to learn their first role-playing game Mm -hmm. and whether or not they as parents are competent or confident enough to be able to run that adventure for their, that first adventure for their children. What are some of the specific tools that you guys bring to the table when you bring with your children to help make those adventures right-sized for for their experience. Patience. Lots and lots of patience. Ooh, nailed it. Yeah. Uh, that is definitely a key thing you need. Uh, two, realize they're not going to get it right. It's going to take some time, uh, which goes back to patience. Uh, I can't tell you the number of times that I have had to tell my kids, quit putting the dice in your mouth. No, it doesn't go up your nose. <laughs> but the um, D4 fits so perfect. <laughs> Quit playing with your your sister's (laughs) dice or quit playing with your brother's dice. Um, Hey, it's your turn. Hey, it's your turn. Hey, it's your turn. Um, What I the kind of rule of thumb that I would suggest is if you're going to do it, I don't think there's an age limit. I really don't. You know, I have have a three-year-old son and I can role play with him, but it's different. We don't use dice. Um, we just start, we've just barely started, but it's you know it's more like you know, a choose your own adventure story. Hey, we're going down a path. There's some monkeys swinging the trees. You see a couple rocks at your feet. What are you gonna do? You know, and then he's like, pick up the rocks. I'm like, okay, you picked up the rocks. Are you gonna throw the rocks at the monkeys, or are you gonna try to sneak underneath them? And so I'm still kind of guiding him, but he's still. I mean, it's role playing. It, it is in, in its most fundamental way. It's role playing. But, you know, when you get to the older kids, like my 12-year-old, we're using mechanics. We're playing a little bit – we're playing a really dumbed-down version of D&D, but it's still something solid. It's more solid than, you know, you see some monkeys. You know, there's some flying monkeys up in the sky. that they, They're looking pretty ominous, and they're flying at you at sp- full speed. What do you do? Um, you know, yeah. I, so it's definitely different. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go find a hiding spot. Okay, roll. You know, what, what, what skill check are you going to use? Uh, you know, whereas if it's my teenagers, you know, same scenario. Okay, what are you going to do? I don't give them any kind of directions or pushes. And they're like, and they're sitting there arguing. And I'm like, so, um, you know, you've been arguing for the last 10 minutes. That cloud of flying monkeys is almost on top of you. Unfortunately, you've ran out of time. They're attacking. Uh, you know, something like that. You know, if they come up with a plan, great. But you know, more often than not, they end up arguing and bickering what they're going to do. And you yeah. know, time time moves. There's got to be consequences for not working together. Go ahead. I totally agree with everything that you've said. In fact, I, I love what you said about there's not really an age. We've talked about why RPGs are so important, and it has to do with um, exploring life. It's about life. Uh, This is such an important tool that in the real world, professionals use this as a way to sort of reprogram people who are struggling with certain things in their life, Uh, whether it's um, sorrow, loss, uh, anger, uh, addiction, role playing, uh, or, or just safety training. How often in school did you have to do a little play 
or you had to stand opposite another student and one of you had to be the drug pusher and one of you had to say no, right? That was role playing. That was role playing. You were literally playing roles. Um, so I don't think it's ever too young to start a kid. There is, uh, if if you're looking for a more structured system to st- or, or just a system that would work for children, there's this great one that I played with my daughter when she was late five, early six years old, uh, called No Thank You Evil, and it's adorable and it's it's kid friendly, but it's imaginative. It's Narnia esque in in a way. Um, but it, it has a wonderful system. It even has a an easy, medium, hard character creation and management system so that it can be age appropriate uh, to whatever your child's uh, intellectual level is at that point. It, it's a wonderful system for getting kids into role playing. And since the topic is first time GMs and where do you start? It's also a very friendly system to GMs, very simple rule system, easy to follow, and you can tell some very fun stories. And as far as Alton's question of like, wh- wh- how do you handle this with children? I love using this the way that most psychologists and elementary and middle school and even high school teachers use role playing. I love to use this as an opportunity to help them develop their character and not the one on paper. I love to use this to help them develop their real life persona and their real life character. My daughter, when we first started playing No Thank You Evil, uh, she would get into the sort of imaginary realm uh, because they separate the imaginary realm from the reality. There's like um, different passages you can you can get there via your closet or behind the bookshelf or under the bed and it takes you to different areas of this imaginary land. And um, at first, every time she met anybody, it was combat, like every time. And so, and, and, and in her defense, that's kind of how I set it up. The very first thing that happened when she got there was she encountered some conflict that I had put before her. But then I started putting people and creatures in front of her that were not hostile. And she would immediately go into combat mode. And I had to teach her not to do that because I was thinking, this is how she's always going to do conflict. So I started presenting her with opportunities for compassion. And lo and behold, almost immediately, her switch flipped from I'm going to go bash it in the head with my bat to, oh, I put my bat away and I put my arm around them. Like this was her idea. She's like, I asked them if they're okay and I talked to them. Yeah. And I was like, this is great. So that that's where I, that's, that's where I would take children when it comes to role playing. It doesn't have to be about nightmare creatures and all that stuff. It can be about how do you handle bullying? How do you show compassion? And, and how do you stop evil? Because I think that's important too. Yeah, doing the right thing. I mean, we we tell bedtime stories to our children, right? From even before they really fully understand words in many cases. But part of that is to be the reassuring person, but it's also because you have the opportunity to share values and ideas and thoughts. And as children drift to sleep and move into that unconscious realm, they are able to explore those adventures in their own way. And role-playing games in many situations enable people to wake up some of that unconscious self because they can put it into a place that is safe and in which there is no risk, which is something that usually only dreams can accomplish. And I, I love in particular the fact that you both have brought up specifically the concept of choices. Because as I was designing my first RPG and we were doing a lot of testing, 
we realized some common patterns that even with experienced players, if we were providing more than five options in any given situation, analysis paralysis kicked into overdrive and there was no way that they were moving forward. And we also realized that if we only allowed two options, two concrete options, experienced players would buck them every time, but so would new players. And so we realized that we should never provide more than five options and the last of those options, no matter how many we think we're providing, is that concept of chaos, that concept of them doing something else and us needing to be able to adapt. And so when we set out to create the RPG in a way that it could be run on a computer, we realized very quickly that the role of storyteller was still vitally important because it allows players to explore their own path that way. Um, your, your story about your daughter being compassionate actually reminds me of one of my favorite play tests, um, with a, a father and his two sons. And, uh, as I, as I've been thinking a lot about how children absorb stories, I thought very much about call and response and pattern recall, right? Setting something up that always knocks down and saying something in a particular way, in a particular order, such that it's very easy for a child to comprehend. And we still do that with more advanced role-playing games as well. Um, but in this case, we, we brought them out to the racetrack. I asked the boys what world they wanted to play in, and the youngest one said, I want to drive a race car. And so we said, okay. So we brought them out to the racetrack, and the first thing I threw at them was they got out to the track, and the tires on their cars were gone. Right. And so I've got this oval racetrack in my head. And so they say, well, we got to go find them. I'm like, okay, well, let's go down the racetrack and you get to the first corner. And, and they beat the obstacle. And so they bring the tire back Uh-oh. to the starting line. Hang on, Elton. Uh, you're, you timed out there for a second. You said they run down the right, the racetrack and they get to the first corner and then your audio paused. So okay. uh, pick, pick it up from that part of the story again. Yeah. So they run down the racetrack and they get to the first corner and there's some kind of obstacle there for them to overcome. Um, But once they do, they get the tire and I make them roll it all the way back to the starting line. Right. And then there are how many tires left. Right. And they say, okay, well there are four tires. So three left. And I say, okay, awesome. So you take off back down the racetrack and you get to the first corner. And what did you see there? And they said, oh, we saw this. I'm like, yep. Okay. So we go around to the second corner and there was a second obstacle and they beat it and they get the tire and they come back. And as they're coming back, I say, and you pass the sand pit on the first corner and then you run all the way up the raceway and you get to the starting line and you slap it on your car. How many tires are left? Two. Awesome. Okay. So you go down the race when you get to the first corner and you see the sandpit, you get to the second corner and you see, what did you see? And they say it back and go, okay, third corner. Right. And we did this pattern all the way around until we got to the very last one. And this is where the big baddie was, right? The guy who took all the tires is right there sitting on a pile of the last tires that you need. And exact, a very, very similar situation began to play out, Right where the older brother was immediately like, well, I'm going to go and I'm going to try to scare him. And I'm going to, you know, beat him up. And, and of course, like as, as a storyteller, you have an obligation when you're in somebody's head to reinforce ideas. That's the business that we're in. And so if we're reinforcing a negative emotion, that's what they will exhibit. If we're reinforcing a positive emotion, that's what they'll exhibit. Absolutely. And so being able to create that kind of reward system created an opportunity where, oh, yep, you didn't succeed, right? And then younger brother comes up and says, well, I'm, I'm going to go try to be his friend, 
right? And so he goes up and he's super friendly. And because he was friendly, he got a hint as to what to do, right? And then ultimately dad got to come up, come in and we made dad the hero for the night. So he was able to get the tire back and, and then same thing, call and response the whole way back around. You pass the fourth corner, pass the third corner, pass the second corner, pass the first corner, run up this braceway, slap it on, right? And, and you create this opportunity where you're reinforcing the story inside of the child's head. And adults need that too, albeit maybe not as specifically called out. But what that enabled us to do was after they got the last tire on, I asked them, so what happens next? And they got quiet for a second. And then the little boy, we race. And he's throwing his hands in the air and he's yelling as loud as he can. And then he turns to me and says, so what happens? I said, well, that's your story to tell. And I picked up the dice. And, and for a second, he was kind of shocked and it looked like he was going to cry, but then he was like, yeah. <laughs> right. And, and, and that's where I would encourage anybody who is willing to try to play with children to do it because it's a perfectly safe environment. They are not masters of story. They will not call you out for using a trope, but man, it will allow you to get in and learn what it's like to play inside of the mind of somebody else. I don't know. I, I, I like to think that kids are better storytellers than we are. They don't have the restrictions that we do as adults. Um, you got, but you have to get them to buy in. Once they buy in, man, they're amazing. Yeah. But before then, you're right. It, it's really hard. You have to get them to buy in before they'll, they'll share that story. But man, if you can get a kid to play and get hooked on what's going on, they come up with some of the most amazing and off-the-wall stories ever. I mean, you would, they would put st stuff together you would never imagine. You know, dancing hippopotamus, uh, you know, a dancing hippopotamus lancer that fought for the king, um, that, that, you know, defeated the, uh, the evil tigers and elephant warlords. You know, it almost sounds, in some cases, it almost sounds kind of like a Kung Fu Panda uh, movie. But, yeah, and, it's, and it, it kind of draws back to that, uh, what you said in the beginning. They're using what they know. And so they start weaving these stories from things they know. And maybe you have Shrek in there, something that kind of looks like Shrek. And maybe you have trolls in there that, uh, it always happens, but you someone throws out there it fart, you know it farts and glitter shoots out of its rear end or something you know you have those weird things you have the potty jokes but they're they're, they're kid potty jokes um you have these elements but they craft this wildly imaginative story that you can't make on your own you are just there to let that story come out and you know you have a beginning and an end point i think that's the best way with little kids you have a beginning and an end point you let them craft it and well, as you and, get older, you include those beats with the older kids. And honestly, that may be the, the key to the entire conversation that we're having tonight, right? Is refocus on that childlike wonder, the rule of cool. What is it that you want to do? What is it that your players want to do? And just squeeze the juice out of that until everybody has enough, right? Because if you can get your players to buy in even if the first adventure is rough, even if the story is not exactly what you had in your head, the point is to get them to sit down for another game and to walk mm -hmm. away excited to come back for more. Absolutely. Uh, as you were talking, Daniel, about how excellent 
um, children aren't telling stories because they don't have the boundaries of reality that we have formed. We have formed calluses around our imagination and we tend to corral ourselves into um, what can only be perceived as possible. And children don't have that problem. Uh, one of my all-time favorite internet comic books was Axe Cop. And Axe Cop, the, the concept <laughs> is that you you have an older brother who, in real life, you have an older brother who is a comic artist. And he has a little brother who's like, I, I, I'm trying to remember the years now, but he was either five or six or seven, something like that. And his little brother, he asked his little brother, to tell him a story and he would draw it. It was something they did as brothers together. And so his his little brother came up with the with the story of a cop who one day found a fireman's axe and he became axe cop. And you can't imagine how far off the rails that story goes. And the older brother's job was to animate it or to, or to draw it out and to tell the story in a cohesive, understandable way. But he let his little brother narrate the whole thing, and it was brilliantly imaginative, and you could never predict what was going to happen next because it came from the mind of a child, and it was fan-freaking-tastic. Love it. I have forgotten that for so long, but I'm so glad that you brought it back to the front of my mind. It, it's it's a joy. It is, it is pure joy every time. Well, you know, so – and and yeah – I mean, we're pretty much, we're pretty much capped out at that, right? Is, is that concept of just flow, let it flow, let it be stupid for a second so that it can turn into something better. And at the end of the day, no matter what kind of good advice we or anybody else can give you, just tell the story, tell the cool story and, and, and whatever happens, whatever comes next, just let it out and let it be. And you'll find that as you do, you'll become more confident, you'll become more invested, and that many of the things that you thought might be stupid will instead ignite the imagination of the players at your table. Yep. Well, folks, I think we're at the end of our train here. Uh, we could keep talking. We could continue to weave a fantastical tale. We got to quit. Here's why. We need you to come back for more. We're, we're <laughs> going to leave you wanting. Uh, but this is a great time for you guys to throw out your own questions, you know, thoughts, ideas. Email us at info at or go to our website, dungeoncrawlersradio.com. Click on Contact Us. Send us in your thoughts. Are there, is there a topic you want us to talk about? Maybe you have some insight on the things we talked about. Shoot us an email. We want you to – we want your input. We want your interaction. You know, it, it's like being at a gaming table. It's really boring when we're, you know, DMing a game and you're not rolling the dice. Yeah, no. <laughs> join us. Join us in the conversation. I'll leave it at that. Um, so, with that said, we're out of here. And friends, tell your story, whatever may come. And always remember, be epic, don't suck. Remember, the force will be with you, always. Yeah.